Which part of you do you want to take the wheel right now? Is it the part of you that's afraid of being perceived as a failure or somebody who's past their prime or whatever it is that you're afraid of, whatever that nasty, cruel voice in your head happens to say to you? Is that the part you want at the wheel? Or would you rather have the part of you that's thinking about your well-being, that's thinking about healing, taking over the car? Hey, Jen, you ready to make a podcast? Nah, I think I'd rather wash my hair. (laughs) Just kidding. I can't wait to dive into today's episode. (laughs) Want to do it? Hey, everyone. Welcome to Per My Last Email, the show about what to do when work gets weird. I'm Sarah Wachter-Betcher. And I'm Jen Dionisio. So, Jen, what kind of weird are we talking about today? Well, today we're going to talk about something that I know I have had some real strong feelings about over my career. So what we've heard are dilemmas related to things like job titles and leveling and like how those apply to your ambitions. Mm. I have also had my share of angst over job titles and leveling. What's yours been like, Jen? You know, I feel like it was something that really plagued me for like the first half, maybe first 75% of my career. Like if you look at my LinkedIn profile, I feel like it is just full of titles that make almost no sense when you actually look at the context of like what my role was and what I was doing. I had this digital projects manager role that was like not a project manager at all because the projects was plural. And like those projects included what I felt like was like really high level stuff, like creating and leading strategy for the whole org's content and all of its digital systems. And yet I made almost no money. And when I left, my role was replaced by like three people because it was such a big job. Mm -hmm. The most frustrating part, Sarah, was that almost everyone else in my organization and department got all of these fancy director titles off the bat. And I felt so resentful about that. And I really didn't expect to have a lot of feelings about that, especially because I loved all of my colleagues. But I ended up writing uh, my boss this like three page pitch about why I should be given a title change to director and a salary bump to match. And she just kind of sat on it for a couple of months until I got another job offer. And then suddenly I was allowed to be a director too. Hard pass. I quit. You know, I actually had a similar situation, although I was a little bit more junior. It's funny, I just remembered this as you were talking about that. So I was hired uh, as a junior copywriter at an ad agency. I was like 23 years old. And pretty soon I was taking on like more ownership of larger projects, larger accounts. And I was constantly being asked by various account teams to take over for this one senior writer because... Well, I mean, because he he really sucked and I could get into all the ways that he did a terrible job and said like weird, gross, sexist stuff, but I don't have time for that right now. But I was constantly being asked to take over his projects. And at the same time, I was still doing a bunch of junior jobs. Like I was proofreading everything that we put out. Like I was the last eyes on things. And so I made a case to advocate for a promotion to copywriter. And I really wanted to drop the junior off my title. Like I did not like that feeling. (laughs) Okay, 
And so you know what I was told? What? I was told, yes, absolutely. Like, you've really proven yourself. You can totally have a promotion to junior copywriter. What? (laughs) And I was like, wait, hold on. That's already my job title. I'm like, I literally had business cards that said junior copywriter on them. They're like, no, 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 no. You're the proofreader. But you're going to be promoted to junior copywriter. And I was like, what do you think I've been doing since I've been here? Oh, my God. Do you know my name? My name is Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's the answer that I got. And then I started interviewing. And of course, magically, when I gave notice, you know what I was offered? Copywriter title. Copywriter title. Mm -hmm. Waiting to the last minute. Yeah. Never compels people to want to stay. I know. So like you, I left. And in my next job, titles were also messy for me. So I joined this other agency as a web writer. And remember, this was like 2007. This was a super forward-facing title at that particular moment in time. They never had a web writer before. They didn't really know what to do with me. They knew they needed me, but it was kind of unclear how I fit into the broader picture for them. And so a lot of the jobs at this agency had a really clear promotion path. Like you'd go from account coordinator to account manager to senior account manager to account director. Or you'd go from like production designer to art director to senior art director to associate creative director. But for those of us who were on like the digital side of this agency, which was a whole thing at that particular moment in time, it was a lot less clear what the promotion path might look like. And you had job titles that seemed a little bit newfangled. And so (laughs) what was really hard for me about that is it seemed like different people had different ideas about how senior I was. And particularly in comparison with the traditional creative team. And I'd love to say that that shouldn't have mattered and it didn't matter and I didn't care because I was doing great work. But, you know, one of the owners was also the creative director. And so he tended to see what I did as like inherently less important than what his people did. Because I was this web writer who was on digital, not part of creative or like weird dotted line, whatever. Yeah. And so that often led me to be treated as if I was more junior than I really was and more junior than all the people on that team. And I was also really underpaid. And it was very hard to break out of that reputation, particularly because so much of the work I was doing was new to the agency. So they they didn't necessarily know what to call it, even though I was more and more often coming in at the very beginning of projects, leading us through big strategy phases with clients. Like what I was doing was serious stuff. So Eventually, I kind of discovered that some people were calling themselves content strategists. And so I started advocating for that and then ultimately turned that into the content strategy lead. And then some other stuff happened and I became a weird director with like seven different words in my title. Um, But I was making it all up as I went and I was trying to like sell it in as I went. And so every single time I had to like pitch it. And there were so many moments where that lack of title or lack of clarity on my level felt like it just made my job harder. You know, it's kind of like where you said you don't want like the idea of leveling to like influence how you feel about your job, but it's really hard not to when it affects how much access you get to people, how quickly people respond to your emails, how much they feel like they have to take seriously, like the things you're suggesting. And like without it, it's like, I swear I'm not the intern. And even if I was, please respond. Yeah. We even had this recently, you know, at my last job. I'm curious if other people are experiencing this that are listening. You know, we were asked in a reorg to not let anyone who was below manager level use the word strategist in their title, 
which is a little tough considering we were the uh, content strategy team. Yeah. So everyone at every level had that title. And when we were kind of debating what we may retitle as, the directions people went in were, were really interesting. You know, I think a big concern was like, okay, I don't mind doing this internally, but like what happens when I look for another job and nobody understands what I do Mm -hmm. or vice versa? Like what if I have this role that's really clearly understood in my industry, but within this org, it's like, you write copy? Right. Yeah. Well, we're not even going to get into that today, but the... uh... (laughs) The confusion over like what is strategy, what is a strategy title, and who should have those. I mean, like we could have a whole other conversation about it. But instead, Jen, we should get into our listeners' dilemmas. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Our first question is from a person I'm going to call FS. I've been at my current job for about a year. They told me when they hired me that I was being rated at the high end of the level I was hired at. Cool, I thought. I also was getting a good bit more money from this, so didn't even negotiate. As I got started, I felt like my level was perhaps underestimated. I'm advocating for a promotion in the next review cycle, but it makes me bummed that I feel like I'm behind my peers in terms of levels and that this then puts me further away from a senior title in this org. But are these just comparison games that I need to stop thinking about? My pay and benefits meet the needs of my life right now. My work has been fairly satisfying. Why am I wasting time and energy on worrying about levels and titles and promotions and comparisons? Should I just learn to be content where I am? How do you balance ambition with healthy contentment and decide when drive is good or just trying to outdo others? Ooh, Jen, there is a lot to talk about here. Yeah! Leveling! Feeling underestimated! Getting stuck in comparison! That sounds very familiar (laughs) based on what we were just talking about. So Sarah, that FS stands for fairly satisfied. And if you were working with FS, where would you start? You know, I think where I would start is with the word that they used at the very end of their dilemma there, balance. Because I see all this tension in their letter, this tension between ambition and contentment but maybe also tension between how FS feels about the situation versus how they think they should feel about the situation. Yeah. So FS, something I'm wondering here is what happens if we shift from a place of seeking balance between these two things and instead look at how we might allow both things to simply be true at the same time and to sort of like take them out of competition with one another. As in... You have a job that's pretty satisfying and that meets your financial needs, which, yay, I I think a lot of us don't celebrate this enough. Mm -hmm. It's a really wonderful thing to have a job like that, particularly in a world and in a moment where so many jobs are toxic and exploitative and where so many people aren't making enough to get by. And so what I take from your letter, FS, is that part of you is really grateful for those things. And I think that is a wonderful thing to acknowledge, a really healthy thing to acknowledge particularly because it's so easy to get sucked into the trap of always wanting more, more, more. And it's nice to know that at some level, what you have is enough. And so I really want you to take that in as being real and true. But FS, you also feel underleveled and underestimated. And I want you to really allow yourself to see that that is just as real and valid as the fact that you're doing okay. 
Because one of the things I do know is that when we cut off our feelings, like when we don't allow ourselves to feel hurt or disappointed or left out, when we tell ourselves that we quote unquote shouldn't feel that way, that really takes a toll over time. And so I think it's important to let yourself say, I have a good job that meets my needs and my current level feels inequitable. So once we can allow space for both things to be true, then what? Jen, I think we need to pull out our old friend, biceps. We need a sound effect for that word. Maybe like a flex. What does a flex sound like? As I just acted that out, uh, I realized it makes no sound. Maybe we just need to flex harder. Okay, so biceps is this great model for talking about your needs at work. It was developed by Paloma Medina, and we find it super useful, which is why we've already talked about it on this show a couple of times. But for a very quick refresh, BICEP stands for belonging, which is feeling like you're part of something. Improvement, which is about having a sense of progress or growth. Choice, which means having some autonomy, like having a sense of control. Equality, aka fairness, feeling like you're getting equitable treatment and equitable access to information. Predictability, which is feeling like you know what's going to happen, that things aren't changing overnight. And then significance, which is about feeling like you're part of something important and that you are important. And so when one or more of those needs aren't met, people tend to find work more difficult and more draining. And it doesn't mean it's the end of the world. Like we all go with some of those needs unmet some of the time, but chronically going without those needs met can really burn people out. And so FS, when you look at the biceps model, I'm curious what you notice, because I right away notice that equality sounds like an issue for you. It doesn't feel fair to be leveled lower than your peers. But I also think there might be something going on with significance here, because FS, I noticed you mentioned feeling underestimated. And when I hear that, it makes me wonder if there's some part of you that's maybe feeling like you're being seen as less important than your peers. And when we feel unimportant, that is not a good feeling. So again, this is my interpretation of what your unmet needs might be, and and I might not have it quite right, FS. I'm making some assumptions here. What I encourage you to do is really look at the biceps model yourself. We'll put it in the show notes and think about what resonates with you. But I think that recognizing your unmet needs might be really helpful here because it can help you get underneath the surface level thing, which is just about titles, and that might feel petty or shallow and get you more into understanding, well, why exactly does this bother me so much? Like what's actually going wrong here? Mm -hmm. Because it is clear to me in your letter, FS, this does bother you. And I just wanna validate that it's okay. It's okay to wanna be treated and paid fairly, and it's okay to wanna feel like your contributions are seen and acknowledged. Yeah, I feel like it's so important to say that out loud over and over and over again. FS, your desires do not make you difficult or ungrateful. Sarah, I don't know if you hear this too, but I think so often people feel like they owe their workplaces like gratitude for what they provide. Even though like you're the person providing the labor, Mm -hmm. you are just being compensated for the time and effort you're giving. And I also feel like, you know, I remember I felt this way. Am I being superficial or materialistic if I let things like level and salary bother me and like when you have that doubt planted inside of you it can really keep you stuck and not knowing how to move out of that it seems like fs is really feeling that which sarah brings me to what is their ultimate question 
Should they keep caring about the promotion and the title and the level? Or stop trying for more and just be content with what they have? Mm. Yeah. I mean, to answer that, I want to go back to what I said at the beginning. Like, what if you didn't have to choose FS? Just like both feelings are true and valid, like you're both grateful for all the things that are good about this job and you feel underleveled and underestimated. What if you could give yourself permission to also do both things here? Meaning the permission to both like feel good about what you have today, to acknowledge it, to enjoy it, and permission to advocate for more for yourself. Because FS, in your letter, it sounds to me like you feel like you have to choose one or the other. And I want to challenge that because I actually think that they're two different things. Mm. One of them is about your internal situation. Like what's your intrinsic motivation? What makes you feel energized? Your own sense of validation. Like how do I know whether I'm doing a good job? That's your internal yardstick. And it sounds like in those areas, you already are pretty content. You have a lot going for you. The job meets your financial needs and it also meets a lot of your creative and intellectual needs. And so that means it serves the goals that are most meaningful to you personally. And that's great. But the lack of equity, the sense of being undervalued, those things are really about external approval and validation. And I wanna be clear, it's not bad to care about those things. It is normal and healthy to wanna feel acknowledged and valued. Everybody deserves to feel acknowledged and valued. But what can sometimes happen is that we give all of our attention to those external factors. So we can become so focused on the external that we pursue it even when it leads us to work lives that we actively hate. Like I have seen this many times where people will wind up in jobs that look good on paper but make them actively miserable. And so we can become so focused on the external pieces that we stop knowing how to feel okay about ourselves and our work when we're not getting those external little quick hits of validation. And so FS, this is why I want you to really look at what it would be like to embrace both, to acknowledge the contentment you feel in a lot of aspects of your work and to acknowledge you're grateful for the good salary, for the satisfying work, to acknowledge that you're getting a lot of the internal validation you need, and then to also acknowledge that you're not getting the external validation that you also want. You're not getting the rewards of a promotion and you really want to be feeling like you're treated fairly. You do deserve that. You do deserve to feel seen for what you're putting in. And so once you do this, you can kind of move away from pitting the internal and the external against one another. And what that does is it opens up space for you to go after those external rewards like the promotion, but without feeling quite so attached to it because your whole sense of self-worth isn't tied up in it. Because again, you already know that you're doing good work and you're getting paid well and everything's okay. And so you can go after the external promotion because that's fair and because you want to be seen for the work you're doing, but you don't need it to know that you're all right and to be okay with yourself. And that means that if it doesn't happen, you haven't lost everything because you still have all the things that you're grateful for. And those are worth a lot. I'm so glad you're saying that because now with the benefit of hindsight, I really wish I had heard this at the time that I was really struggling because I was doing such cool, interesting work. I was working with people who really believed in me and cared about me and I had fun with and are still friends of mine. But that bitterness about my level and my salary really kind of poisoned that time for me in a way that 
I wish I hadn't let it. You know, I still think it made sense to ask for a promotion and a raise and when that wasn't taken seriously to move on. But I really let that turn into an indictment of me and my skills and what people believed about me instead of it just being a yes. circumstance that I could react to. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. When those things get conflated, it's like the lack of external reward and validation is telling me that actually I'm bad or like I'm not doing enough and I'm not good enough. That's the thing, FS, that I really want for you is to really be able to validate yourself and to know deep in your heart that the work you're doing is good and meaningful and it matters and that you are getting enough out of it that you are okay financially and that there's a level of safety there. It doesn't mean that you have to accept that as the be-all, end-all. As Jen said, I think it's absolutely fine and actually quite good to advocate for more and if you don't get it, to sometimes move on. But I think getting really confident, owning all of the things that are good about where you're at right now and naming those things, celebrating those things, that's going to make it easier for you to go out and advocate for what's fair because you can do it from a place that's a little less personal because you're not looking for somebody to validate your personal worth. You are looking for them to acknowledge the contributions you're making in that org. And that doesn't necessarily feel so heavy or high stakes. And I think if you go in with it feeling a little less high stakes, you'll probably go in with a little bit more lightness and brightness and maybe even a little bit more like convincing and compelling conversation. Because sometimes that's really hard to have when we're so focused on like, what does it say about me if I don't get this? Yeah. You mean you don't need to write a three-page letter justifying why you deserve the things that you're asking for? I mean, you may need to write something down. You may need to document. But I also think like a three-page justification letter usually doesn't justify much to anybody. Yeah. Probably was a bit of overkill, but I really love this advice, Sarah, that you're giving FS. And I think it's something that probably a lot of us could use a reminder of. Be present to this like whole picture of our work lives and our careers and not just the pieces that really disappoint us, you know, because that's not the whole landscape. Mm -hmm. That is one part in a broader whole. So FS, good luck to you. You're doing great and you do deserve more. Hey everyone, it's Emily, the producer of PMLE, and I have a favor to ask you. If you're enjoying the show, help us spread the word. We want to support as many people as possible through their weird work dilemmas. And the best way for us to convince the algorithms to promote the show is for you to rate and review us. Head to Apple Podcasts and leave a comment and rate us five stars. No emoji reviews accepted. Thanks in advance. All right, Sarah, are you ready for another dilemma? I sure am. Hit me. So this one is from another listener who is worried about their title and level, but for some slightly different reasons. So I'm going to call them DM. I'm feeling really burnt out in my current role. My heart isn't in the company's mission, and there has been blatant disregard for the well-being of people who work here. At an all-hands one time, executive leadership acknowledged the burnout by saying, thank you for your hard work during this exciting time. That's it. So I'm starting to explore other opportunities, but I'm at a crossroads. I'm currently a people manager, and director would be my next level if I stay the course. I'm open to considering returning to an individual contributor role, but there aren't a lot of roles open at what would be my equivalent level in the IC realm. 
I've been considering demoting myself to a more junior title and level because one, that's where the job prospects are, and two, I think I might like the reduction in scope and responsibility as a way to help manage burnout right now. But I'm also worried that some short-term gains might create some issues later down the road. Will going into a more junior level IC role hurt me long-term as far as career advancement and salary potential? Will this make it harder for me to go back to people management if I decide to return to that path one day? Will this hurt my reputation as being a senior practitioner in my UX and content? Jen, am I the only one who heard exciting time in air quotes? Oh my God. I That sentence <laughs> is just ringing in my head. I can picture oh, that meeting so vividly. <laughs> but I'm really actually glad that we're talking about this particular dilemma today because I've had a similar conversation with a number of my clients. And it's been really interesting to see this really wide spectrum of perspectives on whether this is a good, bad, or neutral idea. I've heard on like one end, a lot of hurt and anger that when you feel kind of forced into this choice because this industry is broken and I am not going to be able to ever kind of move up this ladder any further. I'm being blocked. But then there's this other perspective I hear that is a little more excited at this prospect. People who are kind of like, hey, this is a new season of my life and I want to conserve as much energy as possible for non-work things. Mm -hmm. And it's tricky to kind of figure out where you fall in that line. And so, Sarah, if you haven't guessed, DM is standing for uh, demoting myself. And let me ask you an easy question. Should DM demote themselves? Mm, That's a great question. And of course, we will not be able to answer that directly. Nope. But what I actually want to start with is DM's last question. Will this hurt my reputation as a senior practitioner? And the reason I want to start there is because hearing that is the very last thing you wrote, DM, it makes me wonder if this is a fear that's really driving a lot of your angst here. Like if this is really the ultimate fear. And I can't know that for sure from your letter, but I do want to encourage you to think about that. If you're being really honest with yourself, how much of your fear of going for a less senior job is related to what other people might think of you or about you? If that's a pretty heavy concern, then DM, I might spend some time with that fear first. Because if that fear is really big, you can wind up kind of like handing the wheel over to that fear. And I'm not sure you want the fear of your reputation to be the one who calls the shots here. Because like we talked about with FS, it's not that external rewards or external perception don't matter. Other people's opinions of us, they do impact the opportunities we have available to us. And it's okay to wonder what people will think. I think it's normal to wonder what people will think. But that voice can just get really, really loud. And when it gets really loud, it can overshadow something that I believe is much more important, which is what we think about ourselves. Yes. Right? Like, same thing as we talked about with FS, like whether we're happy and whether we enjoy our work and whether we feel like it suits our lives and whether we're living in a way that's sustainable, whether we have space to heal and to find joy. And so kind of continuing with that metaphor about driving, DM, I might suggest you ask yourself, which part of you do you want to take the wheel right now? Is it the part of you that's afraid of being perceived as a failure or somebody who's past their prime or whatever it is that you're afraid of, whatever that nasty, cruel voice in your head happens to say to you? Is that the part you want at the wheel? 
Or would you rather have the part of you that's thinking about your well-being, that's thinking about healing, taking over the car? And I don't know for sure how you'd answer that DM, but I'm going to guess that there's a good chance it's the latter, or you probably wouldn't have even been considering this path or writing us a letter. And that doesn't mean you need to kick the part of you that's worried about perception out of the car entirely. It might just mean you need to demote them. Like they need to go to the back seat. You can say to them, you know, I understand that you're afraid of how this might impact my reputation. You get to pipe up and tell me you're afraid, but you can't drive. It's so helpful to know that that is actually like a choice you are empowered to make because when I was really badly burned out a few years back, I definitely did not put my more compassionate parts in that front seat. And after time, it actually kind of felt like my nastier parts just like kind of shoved the compassionate ones out the door and backed over (laughs) up against them again and again. (laughs) Wow, vivid. Yeah, but it truly exacerbated what was already a really hard and difficult experience for me. Like that hardness was not what I needed to hear at that moment. Oh, Jen, I am so sorry that you went through that. But I also know it's really common because one of the things burnout does to us is it really gives free reign to those most nasty voices. It's like it's really hard to see positive situations or to kind of like look at things through new lenses. We tend to look at stuff through these really kind of cruel and self-defeating lenses like nothing will ever change or everything is broken and it's all me (laughs) right and from that lens it's just so easy to see ourselves as failures to believe that if we make any other choice than the one we're making right now everything's gonna fall apart it can really lead us to like clinging to stuff that's not working because we have this idea in our head that we cannot do anything different So when you're struggling, and it sounds like DM has been struggling for a while, it can be really hard to tune into those other voices. So that's why, DM, I really want to encourage you to slow down and try to do that here. What happens when the part of you who knows that you're in an unsustainable place right now takes the wheel? Like, where does that person drive? What does that person know? Yeah. I think we're so quick to forget that there are other types of wisdom that we already possess if we just kind of create the conditions where we can hear it. Right. And it's hard. It's hard when you're feeling stressed and burnt, but you can still tap into those voices. It just often takes a really intentional slowing down that we often convince ourselves we cannot possibly do. Nope. (laughs) Nope. So, Sarah, let's say that DM does realize that it is okay to slow down and spend some time with this question of who's at the wheel. Let's say that that more compassionate voice tells them that it actually is time to step a few rungs down on the ladder. How might DM come to terms with what that could or could not mean long term? Yeah, so I might call what DM is considering a recovery job, meaning a job that's less of a stretch, less stress, a job where they can heal from burnout. And what I hear in DM's letter is that they're worried that the short-term gains of being able to heal in a less stressful role might lead them to not being considered leadership material in the long run. Now, DM, I don't know if you're right or wrong about that. Like, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know what everybody's thinking. I think it's a risk that's worth considering. But I think there's another risk that's worth looking at at the same time. 
that's oftentimes left under the rug. And that's this. What's the cost of staying where you are right now? And I really want you to think about that and name that because you've said that you're burning out. And that makes me wonder if the price tag on waiting for the exact right opportunity, the one that's like at your level and feels like it will be a healthy environment for you to heal in, if that's just too high. And and that's going to depend on like how much it's hurting you to continue doing what you're doing, which is a question only you can answer. So DM, I, I really want to encourage you to spend some time with that. Can your well-being afford to wait? And while I know you're afraid that taking a lower level job might hurt your long-term career prospects, I'd also encourage you to consider how might descending into a really deep bout of burnout affect those same long-term prospects? Ooh, yeah. Because, yeah, I've seen people hang on and hang on only to make themselves so sick and depleted, and I mean literally, physically ill, that they needed to take a year off work or sometimes more to feel like they've recovered. And to be honest, that can be an even harder thing to bounce back from professionally than moving into a role that maybe feels a little bit lower level than where you've been. I say that because I think so often we think that we are enduring short-term pain for long-term reward, but enduring the pain actually has a long-term cost for us too. Sometimes it really is the best thing we can do for ourselves in both the short and the long-term to just get out. It just doesn't always feel that way. Yeah. And especially, you know, if you have the concern that DM shared, which is what if going for this lower title really hurts me and is held against me later on? You know, Sarah, what have you seen out in the world when people have made this choice? So like I said, you know, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know what every single person's opinion might be, but I have seen some anecdotal things. And one of them is that I think there's a growing acceptance and maybe not just acceptance, but actually like support for moving between management and IC and back again. Because DM, you are not the only person who's had this itch. And I, I've worked with a lot of clients who've wanted to do this. And for a lot of people, it's because they want to stay connected to the craft. Sometimes, you know, when they're going to talk to a hiring manager in the future, that hiring manager is actually really glad that they have recent IC experience because it means that they're much closer to the work itself. And they're not so divorced from what the craft looks like in this particular moment. Their skills aren't dated. And that can actually really be an asset in some roles too. Yeah. I mean, I've actually done that transition more than once. I think management can take a real toll on people, especially when you're responsible for a group of people's emotional health and your own. And sometimes moving back into that IC role lets you recharge so that you can be a good manager again. Well, and not only that, you know, the other thing I've been hearing a lot about is sort of the rise of the player coach role, Mm -hmm. which I have mixed feelings about. But get, the idea of a player coach role is that you are a manager, so you're a people leader, usually often with like a smaller team, but you're also still doing hands-on work. So like if you were a designer, for example, maybe you would manage a couple of people while also being the like hands-on designer for one particular product area. And like I said, mixed feelings, because I've also seen those roles be burnout central because you end up doing two jobs. But at their best, those roles are where people thrive who still want to be connected to the craft. They don't want to let that go entirely, but they also enjoy managing people. Now, I don't know if that's a path for you, DM, and I I can't promise that no one will take you out of the running for a management role because you went back to IC for a while. But I can tell you that some of those old rigid rules about like you have to pick a path and then stay on it, those are loosening. And based on the conversations that I've been having with my clients and the paths I've seen them successfully take, 
they have moved from IC to manager, then back to IC, then back into management. And it can look a lot of different ways. The other thing that I've seen that might be helpful for you to think about here, DM, is people who've applied for a senior IC role, even though they felt like they were a little overqualified. And then when the organization was actually going through making an offer, they would level them and they would get brought in at a higher level, like maybe as a staff level or a principal level. And this is obviously not a guarantee. There are plenty of places out there that are happy to underlevel people to save money, <laughs> but I have definitely seen it happen. And so what if some of those roles that are maybe feeling a little bit junior to you are actually more flexible than you think, where you might actually be able to get like a lead or a staff title? Yeah. You know, my last company was actually exactly like this. Like when we were hiring for roles, we would typically post the senior level role, which was, you know, in our world, an A3. But we would get such a wide range of people applying for roles that it was understood by, you know, our talent acquisition people that on those initial calls, they would start getting a sense of what that person's true leveling might be. And that would be based on experience and also like salary requests. Like if you want to be a senior, but the pay you're asking for is way out of band. If you're great and we want to work with you, we would likely still hire you and just kind of raise that title. I also think something that we saw a lot was it was really hard for people to judge how they applied to the roles that we would have because a senior designer can mean so many different things depending on what organization you're in. Titles are so different across the industry. It's so hard to really pinpoint who the right person is for a role until you actually start talking to them about their work and experience. Yeah, which I think really leads me to the last bit of advice I have for DM, which is, you know, you don't have to take a role just because you apply for it. Some of this is about feeling things out. And I know it's a lot of work to apply. I know that being on the job market can feel like jumping through a ton of ridiculous hoops, and that's all real. But I just want to remind you, DM, that you are allowed to apply to a role that maybe feels a little bit under level for you and see what happens to go on some interviews and find out for yourself. Like, how does it feel to imagine actually taking on a role like this? When I talk about the work that I'd be doing if I stepped back, what do I like about it? What feels deflating or disappointing? And what feels exciting? What feels like relief? Ultimately, what feels right to you? And at the same time, I would also encourage you to really think about how much time you have in this role that you're in now. How much is it harming you and what's it costing you to stay? Because it sounds like no matter what you know you need to go and what you find out in that can help you decide, you know, how picky versus how open you are in the kinds of roles you're looking at right now. Because, you know, even if you take a lower level role and it does impact you in the long term, remember that so does staying in a place that's burning you out and leaving you feeling deflated. So DM, whatever you choose, I really hope you choose it for you, not anyone else. Take care of yourself, DM. And I'm really glad that you brought this question to us because I really think it is so important for us to remember that there is a difference between our internal wants and desires and also our big fears of what we think the world outside of our brains thinks about us. And when we don't, have the ability to distinguish between the two, we can make some really bad choices that are based simply on how we 
imagine we might be perceived. And the truth is, we don't even know that that is actually what the perception will be. Right. And again, that's when fear takes the wheel, right? And I think it is completely reasonable to have those fears and to think about other people's perceptions of you. But who gets to drive the car? And I think that this is one of those situations where it's very easy to let your fear of your reputation or others' perceptions drive. And I think there are very few circumstances where that's actually the most intentional or long-range choice for us. Yeah, agreed. And that's it for this week's episode. Per My Last Email is a production of Active Voice. Check us out at activevoicehq.com and get all the past episodes, show notes, and full transcripts for the podcast at pmleshow.com. This episode was produced by Emily Duncan. Our theme music is I'm a Modern Woman by Maria T. Buy her album at thisismariat.bandcamp.com. Big thanks to Fairly Satisfied and Demoting Myself for submitting their stories to today's show. Thank you all for listening. If you've got a work dilemma eating away at you, we want to hear it. Head to pmleshow.com and submit your story. See you next time. Yeah.